0: Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we can rest upon thee and your word. Father, for you have sent us every bountiful blessing. And Father, we pray, Lord, that now you would bless us again by speaking to us through your living word. And Father, may we be encouraged in our walk of faith until we reach home we ask this in jesus precious name amen amen well if you'll take your bibles at this time would you turn with me to revelation chapter 3 revelation 3 we're continuing our series on the seven churches of revelation which are found in revelation 2 and chapter 3 we're in chapter 3 tonight Okay, and we're arriving at the sixth church that we find that Jesus wrote letters to. The sixth church out of seven. And we, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13 tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we uh, find that Jesus wrote a letter through John, of course, who took all this down to the church in philadelphia look at verse 7 and to the angel of the church in philadelphia right okay now before we go any farther um i don't know why i like this church so much but for some reason it takes me home uh being from philly a philly guy you know i know all about philly and it's brotherly love Uh, now you know that word means uh, of course in the greek brotherly love and so that's what it's called and uh, of course uh, you see anything else but brotherly love down there Uh, but we come to this little church and here is just a little background on this church and this little city okay um this uh, out of the seven churches, this one and the church at Smyrna, we will find, are the only ones that received unqualified praise and approval from the Lord Jesus. There is no condemnation to this church or to the one we looked at before, Smyrna. So this is a very special church. Now, Philadelphia was uh, strategically located as a trade town in Asia. So it stood between Rome and the Eastern world, okay? But it was a little tiny church uh, and a little tiny, a pretty small town. Um, it, was, it was called Little Athens. That was the title they gave it, Little Athens, because of the many gods that were worshipped, the Roman gods that were worshipped in this town, this little city of Philadelphia. But the church now, the church here was a small church. And as we go through this and we look at this church and we learn things about it, I guess of all the churches that we've looked at or the last one we will look at, this one reminds me more, I guess, of our church than any of the others, uh, because it's a little town, it's a little church, and here we are in a little town called Jonestown in the United States of America, and here's this little church in Jonestown here, and I, and I we're gonna see uh, how some of the things in here relate to us and how uh, we have. Uh, as a church uh, gone down this, the, the road that they have not not as severely but some of the things that God uh, commends them for I believe God could would commend us uh, here at Jonestown Bible Church over the years so now let's look together now notice again verse 7 that it says and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write this and again it's debatable what that word angel means, but we know it means literally messenger. But some people think it was a literal angel that watched over the church who took the message, or it, it refers to a pastor of that church or the leadership of that church, the messengers who were sent to minister to that church, oversee that church. And so uh, I tend to lean that way towards what the angel means. But remember, Jesus Christ is writing these letters to these churches. And he writes the rest of verse 7. Now Jesus is going to give a description, as he always does with each letter, a description of himself. Look at the description of the Lord Jesus Christ he gives of himself. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. So we see Jesus describe himself here in a fourfold description. First, he calls himself The one who is holy, the Holy One. And so we know that he is absolutely holy. What is the second thing? He said, who is true? Oh, how important it is to remember that our Savior is true. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth. I think sometimes it's easy to forget that, that Jesus is the truth. So he is holy. Secondly, he is true. Thirdly, Jesus says, I'm the one who has the key of David. The key of David. Now, keys, of course, open and lock doors. But this actually uh, is speaking of, of, of Jesus As the descendant of David and and his authority as the uh, having the authority to sit on the throne of David one day and Jesus will return to earth and one day he will sit on the throne of David and reign here on earth and we will reign with him so here is a reminder as he writes this church that I am the Messiah, I am the one who has the authority, I hold the keys of uh, 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 of David because uh, David was given the promise that his house would live forever and his descendants. And one day one of his descendants would sit upon David's throne in the future forever and ever. And so Jesus uh, here is tying himself to the, his reign reign on the throne forever, one day on the throne of David. And then the fourth part of the description is that he says, I am the one who opens and no one closes, no one will shut. And who shuts and no one opens says this. This statement speaks of the sovereignty of and the di, di, and the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ as the son of God because only the god can open and close doors throughout history and so and and for eternity and so he is the one that that he's saying that I'm the one who opens and closes doors so then now he has the message for the church at at Philadelphia, verse 8, I know your deeds, behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. What a beautiful statement from our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, like he says to the other churches, he says, church, I know your deeds. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that the Lord Jesus is looking down upon Jonestown Bible Church. And he's looking at our deeds as a church family and as me as as a shepherd and the the other, the elders and the deacons, those who who oversee as well, that God has seen our deeds over the years, and he knows our deeds. The question is, what would he say if he wrote a letter to us? What, What would he say? I pray that it would be this. First of all, he says, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power. That word shut, uh, an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power. Now, there, there's a little debate among scholars and Bible teachers as to what exactly Jesus means by, I have put before you an open door. And basically, we have uh, two ideas here. Okay, first of all, uh, let's look at the two ideas. Now, for the most part, when you hear the statement, open door, what is it that comes to your mind when you think of church and ministry? You think of opportunity to evangelize, opportunity to share the gospel. And so many people think that Jesus is talking about the opening the door of evangelism for them. Okay, so uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, if you'll go with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we'll see how it is used in that, con- that type of context by the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8. Okay. <clears throat> but he says, verse 8, I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So here we see the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth God has opened up a door for me for effective ministry, for bringing the gospel there. He, I've, I've got an open door for effective ministry. God has opened to me a wide door. But when there's a wide door to present the gospel, you're going to have adversaries. Just like Paul says, we're, we're going to have adversaries. Now, no doubt, this little church in Philadelphia, they, they would evangelize. They d- did, I'm sure, they, they shared with their family and their friends uh, about christ but they were in the middle of idolatry in this little town all it was was full of idols that that they that the people worshiped and so this little town it was a difficult place to share the gospel and to win souls for christ so we see paul is talking here about the open door as the way of evangelism but there is the second use of the word door, and I tend to lean towards this, uh, this second one. And by the way, we, we know from Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will eat with him and he with me. That symbolizes a decision that a person has to make concerning the Lord Jesus But now, if you would turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 1. Beautiful, beautiful passage. And the Lord Jesus here, of course, speaks of himself as the shepherd, speaks of we who are the sheep of his fold. But let's read together verses 1 through 10. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep. Now, some versions, if you have a translation, may say gate instead of door. But he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out when he puts forth all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice and a stranger they will simply not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Then Jesus says, therefore, to them, verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the one, The door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pastors. The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here, Jesus presents a door to his people. He's saying that I am the door, and you have come through me. Those who are in the church, and we're we're thinking of the church of Philadelphia, that Jesus is speaking. I tend to think that Jesus is speaking about himself being the door, and he's opened the door. And that he has received them and will protect them as a good shepherd because they have because because they cannot fend for themselves as a as a tiny church and there's great opposition, the good shepherd has opened the door for them, and they have received salvation when the gospel came to the people in Philadelphia. They accepted the gospel and they they trusted christ as savior and at once they did that they walked through that open door but then they realized that they had little power they were just a small tiny church they were not one of these big churches mega churches and they didn't have a lot of money a lot of power uh, a lot of influence so keep that in mind as we go back now to revelation 3 okay so Keep that in mind is Jesus being the door. So if we go back, verse 8, I know your deeds, Jesus said. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Now, that again, we know that the door of salvation cannot be shut by anyone. So he put before them an open door because you have a little power. You're small and might, but you have me. You are, uh, you are in the palm of my hand. I am your shepherd. Therefore, because you have a little power, you have, understand that you have salvation, my salvation, because I am the door and I am the shepherd. And then he says something else of what they have done. You have little power. But you have kept my word and not denied my name. You have kept my word and not denied my name. What a beautiful, beautiful commendation to this tiny little church. Jesus is saying, you're little. You have little power, but through me, you are strong. Because I am the door, and I saved you, and I have brought you into the fold. And I want to commend you because you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And keeping his word. If there's anything else I think that uh, is important for us to take with us and to apply personally. Remember, we talked about when we look at these churches... Yes, we look at, at a, corp, a church corporately as a local church, a body of believers. And, uh, but every church is made up of, of, of believers, one at a time. And so I believe it's best to personalize this, make it a personal application when we read this. So the question is, as I ask myself, as part of the body of, of Christ here at Jonestown Bible Church, Lord, have I kept your word? Have I kept your word in my daily life, in the way I live? And and then, of course, corporately, as a local body of believers, have we kept God's word? I was talking to some folks um, at lunchtime and discussing this, that, What we've seen in churches is that the Bible has become irrelevant to many preachers and the new movement in the church and the new people uh, and new ministers coming out of seminaries and universities and then taking churches. They have been taught that the Bible is not absolute truth. In fact, a lot of it is full of fairy tales myths or everything has to be ta- should be taken in metaphorically or, sh- or in a spiritual way but not literally and so what is happening is we see all across america we're seeing churches that have closed the book and they they have decided well there's this new study so and, 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 and here's some new psychology that may help you this morning. And so the pastor gets up, and he doesn't preach from the Word of God, but he preaches psychology. Or he preaches a feel-good message only, and there's no Scripture, hardly any Scripture used at all. And w- w- suddenly you find... A church that is devoid of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And, the, and people come away and they, leave, they came in darkness and they leave in darkness. But as I look back on our church, Jonestown Bible Church, what can we say about us since the beginning? We are called Jonestown Bible Church. And by God's grace and by the many put in this church behind the pulpit and leadership in this church as elders and others, the Word of God has always been central. The Word of God has always been at the center of every ministry that goes out of here. The Word of God is preached and taught and has been since. Pastor George Atkins founded this ministry and founded it on the gospel. And so the word of God has, by God's grace, the word of God has stayed in this pulpit. And that is what is preached from here. Nothing else. And I am so honored and privileged that God would consider me worthy enough, though I feel so unworthy, to bring the word of God to the sheep, here at Jonestown Bible Church for almost now 18 years. I can't believe it's been that long. But it's always been my number one goal and desire. Is to make sure that nothing is preached. But the word of God scripture. That we keep the word. That we keep the word. And when a church keeps the word of God by obedience in our personal life obeying it keeping the word means to not just teach it but then to to respond to it and obey it keeping it by not disobeying it what happens is when suddenly the floods of uh, adversity come in as a church as a whole or to my individual personal life if I have been keeping the word of God in my heart daily I seek to read it or I just try to memorize it. I get it in, in my mind and heart. And I meditate upon it. When I do that, what happens? I am strengthened so that when the persecution comes, I have the word of God I'm standing on. And and everything else I would stand on is shaky ground. But I'm on a firm foundation, the word of God, you and I. And therefore, when the persecution comes, we will stay steady and we won't deny his name. Notice what Jesus said to them again in verse 8. And you who have little power have kept my word and have not denied my name. If we are keeping the word of God in our own personal lives, then we will not deny his name when we are put to the test and we are persecuted. And this church was a persecuted church and we find that as we go on now so would you read with me let's let's read uh, these verses here verses 9 and 11 9 to 11 jesus goes on and says behold i will cause those of the synagogue of satan who say that they are jews and are not but lie Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon it. Now, first of all, in verse 9, there, and uh, we'll we'll get to verse 11 in just a moment. Verse 9, here we see where the persecution's coming from. You see, every church had a Jewish synagogue. Uh, I'm sorry, every, every town, little town, had a Jewish synagogue, okay? And so the town of Philadelphia had a synagogue where the Jews met, but there was a problem. The Jews were who were in that synagogue uh many of them some of them began to claim to be christians they heard the message and they they being jews they they said yeah we will believe jesus is the messiah and so they um they infiltrated the church and so they would have though but they were not really saved these were Jews that were not saved, and they would try and and push uh, Judaism and and all the law on the church, the people, so that that they would get confused and they'd feel like what well, you have to become more like a Jew, you have to do more to to be accepted by God, to truly be saved. But these are, these are actually were those false teachers who are coming in who claim to be Jews who were Jews, but they they claimed also to trust this in Jesus, but they did not, that their hearts uh, were never truly born again, they were never truly saved and so he's talking about those who are persecuting them so the the Jews there he calls the synagogue the synagogue of Satan, which means Satan's in control of that. And I think we could say that about churches in America, that there are churches of Satan, though they don't have his name written over it or in the title. Satan has a hold of many churches in America where there is no Bible and where they preach that anything goes and sin is rampant and sin is approved. Every kind of sin imaginable is approved. By a so-called church and that's we see that again and again today being promoted and we have to be tolerant we have to be accepting of what used to be called sin now we don't call it sin anymore and so these are the would be considered the synagogues of satan they say they're jews but they're not really jews in other words they're not true believing jews they haven't trusted christ But they have a lie. But then Jesus said, Behold, I will make them one day to bow, come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, this is a difficult saying. We don't really understand what Jesus means by them coming and bowing down one day at their feet, their enemies. And these who were not true believers one day will come and bow at their feet. Some people think that it's talking about the future, in when, we, uh, when we will be uh, part of the, the uh, we will be judging angels, of course, Paul says. So we don't know how the Lord is going to use us uh, in, in his kingdom as we reign with him and judge. But, so we really don't know what this, this exactly means. But I love that end part. Jesus said, they'll know that I have loved you. And when you leave here tonight, remember how much he loves you. We sang about it, that Jesus loves you, and he wants the world to know that he, that, that he, he loves you. And he will show that during those times of trial and times of persecution. Suddenly, when suddenly you're, you're pressed and, and, and things have come against you, and suddenly you find yourself not being crushed under it all, but you're still standing. You've stood still, and you've waited for the salvation of the Lord. The world will see that, and they'll look at you and me and go, how is it that you made it through? How is it, and many of you could stand up and give your testimony of how you made it through time and time again. You're here today. Why? Because of something you've done? No, because the Lord Jesus showed his love to you, as he brought you forth through the fire and purified you, purified us so that we have become more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will tell the world, somebody must really love you because they give you strength that I don't have. Or they give you that peace that Linda was talking about, the peace that the world doesn't have. We can experience it. So, so Jesus is commending them, saying, I know you're, you're being persecuted, but stay strong and look at verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, or steadfastness, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is to come uh, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon it. Again, Bible scholars had debated, okay, uh, Jesus says he's going to keep them from the the hour of testing or temptation. The word temptation is in there. But it really means a testing time. <coughs> um, someone had wondered... Does this mean a specific persecution time of testing for Philadelphia, that little church in the first century? Or is it talking about a future event, a future time? Most Bible scholars take the understanding, interpret it as Jesus is talking about the tribulation period that is to come, that... That Jesus is, is going to save these, this, he wants to encourage these, uh, the, these people in this little church of Philadelphia. Saying, I want you to remember, I am going to keep you from the hour of testing. Which is, notice, why would we think it's the tribulation period he's talking about? Because he says, which is about to come upon the whole world world to test those who dwell upon the earth so if you go through prophecy when is it when the whole world will be tested by the judgment of God and Israel the nation will be tested it will be during the seven-year tribulation period as as we can uh, see so but Jesus is trying to encourage them and said, I'm going to keep you from the worst time of history. You will not have to go through that kind of testing or tribulation. But I'm going to save you because you have kept my word of my perseverance. And his perseverance, uh, that is, they're holding on to the fact that that they, that they are in the palm of Jesus' hand. And the, the, uh, Jesus is saying, uh, my perseverance. I'm holding you. You belong to me, and you're going to persevere because you are saved. You are, you are in my hand, and therefore nothing can keep you out of the kingdom. You are saved forever and ever. And this, this is a good statement for to uh, encourage us about our eternal security in Christ. But then we come to verse 11. Then Jesus says, I am coming quickly, Now he says to them, hold fast what you have. In other words, he says, keep on going where you are. Hold on to what you have in order that no one take your crown. And here he's talking about rewards that we are going to receive in heaven. That if we we don't hold fast to the word of God in my own personal life, and suddenly uh, I kind of slip off into the world. Or I kind of com- I begin compromising and I allow the things, uh, things into my life that, that take me away from truly obeying the word or keeping my heart on the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping his word. And suddenly sin enters into my life or uh, neglect of God's word or other things, what will happen is I will lose reward I could have had in heaven. That the Lord says, uh, if you stay true to my word and seek to live and obey it, there will be great reward for you in heaven. But you don't want to lose that reward. Don't let anyone, you know, others who would would tempt you to lose that reward through sin or or temptation, uh, hold fast. So he says, I'm coming quickly. One day Jesus is coming quickly. He's going to return. And verse 12 and 13, let's finish with this. He concludes by saying, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, we, we've discussed this in verse 12 when he says, He who overcomes, we understand that overcomers are believers. So he's talking to the true believers in that church. And he's saying, those of you who are truly mine, you are truly my sheep this is what i'm going to give to you one day i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god and he's talking about the spiritual uh, pillar we 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 are as making up uh the building of the body of christ paul talks about that but here he's he's saying i'll make you a pillar in the temple of my god you're going to be uh at one one day when we are in heaven and then when we come back to earth as well that we are going to be in the temple of the Lord. And we, as as the bride of Christ, we are going to represent a pillar in that temple of his. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Did you know that when you get to heaven... That God is going to write his name on you, perhaps your forehead, and you're just going to have his name. You're going to be given, uh, he will write the name of my God and also the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, on you. You and I will be marked. You know, big thing today is tattoos. You know, that that has uh, taken our culture by storm. But this is, God is going to imprint something on us that will have his name on it forever and ever, and the name of the new, the city, the new Jerusalem, which will come down out of heaven and, his, and, his, and a new name. How wonderful. These are the things that God is going to give to you and me as his children, as his sheep. May we continue to be found faithful. I pray that Jonestown Bible Church will continue to be like the church of Philadelphia, that we have kept his word and each one of us has lived by it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for again your precious word. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement, Father, you've given us as we've seen this letter you wrote to this tiny church so long ago. But how, Lord, they persevered, and they, they kept your word in the time of trouble and persecution. And they didn't stray from it, Father. And therefore, though they were persecuted, you held them steady that they could endure it. And great was their reward in heaven someday. Father, thank you, Lord. May this be said of each one of us personally and corporately as a church that we may continue to glorify you until our Lord Jesus Christ returns for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.